The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for a discussion of tech stocks. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Alex Ewell, who oversees our tech coverage at Barron's and Barron's.com. We need to end today's call just a little before 1230 Eastern Time, so please send in your questions early and we'll set aside time to get to them. Alex, holy NASDAQ turnaround. That's all I want to say. What the heck has happened today? The NASDAQ plummeted this morning on red-hot inflation news, as did the Dow and the S&P, and then reverse course, and last I looked, the NASDAQ is up more than 1%. This is really an extraordinary day in the markets, but longer term, the stock market hasn't looked too good. What do you see out there? Yeah, what a crazy day, right? So when we had our morning meeting this morning, we were all talking about how we were going to cover the, the inflation report. The NASDAQ at the open was down, I think, almost 3% almost 3%. Now it's up almost two. So that's a five percentage point turn. We'll have to do the math to see the last time we got a, a five percentage point swing in the in the NASDAQ. Um, but it certainly doesn't happen too often. Um, so this is a this just speaks to our crazy volatile times for sure. Um, I don't know that anyone can give you a great answer as to why stocks reacted the way they did. Certainly we understand, I think, why they sold off on the, on the inflation right? Is, right? Because it we're confirms. Still, we're still trying to figure out the turnaround. Yeah. So let's, but, but let's start with why it sold off and then we can use that as our baseline. But so, you know, the, the sell off down 3% makes some sense because this continued hot inflation suggests the, the fed isn't approaching a pivot. It will have to keep rates high. Um, you know, now there's even the speculation that not only will it have to keep the rates where they are and it won't be cutting next year, but that it might even have to continue its rate hikes into, into next year. And we've talked about before how terrible higher interest rates are mostly for, for tech focused stocks because they focus on growth and, um, higher interest rates means their, uh, their future dollars are worth less today. So that's why tech continues to get hurt the most any day you hear new inflation worries. And then why it turned around um so that so that's our baseline and i think you know the, the nasdaq's obviously been falling for months on this same news i think we probably got a little bit of a of a um you know uh, buy the rumor sell the news in reverse today um but it's probably also maybe technical uh in nature if that's what look, i'm thinking if, if you look at the s p 500 and everything kind of is, is related here but the s p 500 hit what some technical folks look at as a key mark which is that i believe this morning it finally hit the point where it it had given back exactly 50 percent of its covid gains so in other words from like the the march 2020 trough to the what is it uh mid 2021 peak it, it in this year's sell-off uh it's now down 50 per, it's now given back 50 percent of that and, and technical folks look at that as a key kind of retracement that could suggest a bottom 
So maybe um, bounced off 3,500 this morning. And there's that, then there's that mark too. So there's all sorts of things you could look at. Um, I think, I think it's probably fair to say though, that this kind of turnaround can't really be a fundamental, fundamental based uh, turnaround, right? It's all trading related. um, I don't see what the fundamentals would be. Exactly. I mean, the, the fundamentals were bad, right? The inflation does not is not going to be helping stocks. It suggests rate the rates, uh, the high rates are going to be around for a while. That the Fed, in terms of its recent kind of stubbornness around continuing with its rate hikes, kind of gets confirmed now. So um, that's a significant headwind for uh, the market and specifically tech stocks. So last time we were on this call, people were asking whether this was a comparison to the dot-com bust that began in 2000. Yeah. Do you have any further thoughts on that? It's a, it's an obvious reference point, but it may not necessarily be so. Yeah, and things have only gotten worse for the Nasdaq since the last time we talked. And I've been thinking about that question and kind of how to maybe other ways to, to answer it and how it compares to 20 some years ago. Um, so just, you know, if we look at the Nasdaq, it's still, it, this, we're still not in tech bubble um uh, territory, right? Because uh, the NASDAQ fell 78% um, from March 2000 to October 2002. Uh, the current sell-off, still bad, I will say, it's, uh, the NASDAQ is down about uh, 34% from its high last November. So that's 34% versus 78% in the dot-com bus. So that's definitely not, you know, a, a very different number. But um, you know, the NASDAQ back in 2000 was a far more, what we talked about last time, it was a far more speculative way to play stocks. Many of the companies in the NASDAQ were far from really producing real earnings. Some of them had no revenue. Um, so then, back then, the NASDAQ was full of these promising young companies that were far from being mature businesses. And that's not really the NASDAQ today. So I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe we, we shouldn't, if we want to answer that question, we probably shouldn't be comparing the NASDAQ to the NASDAQ. And, um, but there is, you know, another index we can look at. We talk about it all the time, Lauren, so you can probably guess which one I'm talking about. That's okay. Young are companies. You, are you talking about Kathy Wood, perhaps, and the ARK Innovation Fund? That, you got it. Um, it one of our favorite topics, right? So Barron's um, for sure. She, she has become famous for making these big bets in the more speculative names out there in the ARK Innovation Fund. Uh, ARKK is the ETF, as folks know. That, that ETF... Uh, you know, she was she was famous for for making these great bets during the pandemic from March 2000, from March 2020 to February 2021. That e- her ETF, Arc Innovation, was up 300 percent. Right, it had all the big names: Tesla, Zoom, uh, in particular, Roku, a lot of cryptocurrency bets, um, other fintech names, some biotech, uh, and it was just it was looking it was remarkable. But sure enough, when things fell apart, Arc was the one that that led the losses, and so. I think what's interesting, and um, I was I bring this up partly because I was just reading a really interesting note from uh, Data Trek, which is a um, you know a strategy a strategy firm. They put out some really interesting data, and they're basically suggesting if you want to look at understand the current bust for tech, then then Arc Innovation is the one to look at. And in fact, they have this chart where they they show the the NASDAQ bust in 2000 compared to this year's bust for ARK Innovation, and they look almost exactly the same. They're both down about 75%. Uh, maybe ARK has another 5% or so to go to, to match up to what happened in, in 2000 to 2002. But I guess you know the takeaway is 
that maybe for those sorts of high growth companies, much of which fill the ARK Innovation Fund, we, we have seen the dot-com crash in, in essence. Um, so, you know, I think that's maybe illustrative. I don't know if that means we're done, but I think it suggests that um, in some ways things have been as bad as they were then. And, and, and the good news is maybe we're, maybe we are reaching a bottom. Um, you know, the NASDAQ, of course, rallied. It, it took a long time um, for the NASDAQ to come back. So now we have to wonder, well, how, how many of these names, these high growth names will come back uh, if ever? Um, and I don't quite know the answer to that. I, interestingly, I would note that, you know, some, I'll just give you some of the names, the top names in the ARK Innovation Fund right now are Tesla, Zoom, Roku, Intellia Therapeutics, Exact Sciences Corp, Coinbase Global. So those are the top six names. Um, Zoom and Roku are actually still down today, last I looked, even as the NASDAQ had its turnaround. So that's just, you know, worthwhile looking at that it's some of the names in this growth fund are still not always benefiting even when the NASDAQ rallies more broadly because they're, you know, they, they have some serious troubles and they're still, uh, even, even though both Zoom and Roku are down something like 85% off their COVID highs. So right. um, they, they still have company specific problems. But if you look at the chart of the NASDAQ against the chart of ARK Innovation, if I were Kathy Wood, I'd be feeling somewhat happy at this point because it does look like a bottom which you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, but yes, and she's been talking about, um, you know, the pain may be ending. (laughs) She's ever the optimist. Um, She actually, it's it's worth pointing out since we're talking about her, she just um, basically published an open letter to the Fed saying that there, this inflation worry is misplaced, that in fact, the real worry now is deflation. Now, she has a reason probably to be talking about that, because it's kind of her book, in essence. But, um, you know, her worry is that the Fed will continue to break these companies and, and the market more broadly, if it continues on its path. Um, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see who's right. And that, you know, I think her argument is that don't, we shouldn't even be looking at things like the CPI that we got today, but rather, the, the focus should be just looking at the prices of commodities to understand the current uh, inflationary environment. And, and commodity prices certainly have come well off their eyes. But as we discussed this morning at our morning meeting, a lot of the inflation problem has shifted to services. Yeah, and exactly. Services, um, rent, uh, it's gone right. from- Education, a, a, healthcare, and out of commodities. and out of Exactly. Goods. So we've gone from a goods-focused inflation problem to a services-focused one. And I, I think the problem, and I'm sure the Fed's worry, is that that is not as responsive, perhaps, to um, a tighter monetary policy. And it's, it's a harder problem to solve. So facing tech stocks, we have surging inflation, we have an extremely aggressive Federal Reserve, and now we have third quarter earnings season where the rubber meets the road. We're going to find out which companies could pass through price increases, which companies are seeing demand fall, which companies are seeing demand hold up as they look into the fourth quarter. What's the general outlook for tech for third quarter earnings? Bad. Um, bad. Yeah, okay. Bad. The sentiment. The sentiment just feels terrible, um, right? Which maybe that sets us up for some. some I'm a positive, contrarian. Yeah, that maybe that sets us good. sets us up for some positive surprises. It's hard to remember. Um, you know, without even looking at the specific numbers, it's hard to remember um, a point at which um, 
things felt as bad as they do right now. If every day we're getting either a warning uh, from a company about their, their third quarter results or we're getting news of layoffs. Um, we have this week more stories about more news about chip restrictions in China, which is messing up that business, the chip business. We can talk a little bit more about that. But um, everything feels feels bad right now. Um, and, you know, it just so for some for some calendar timeline stuff, um, well, we get the banks tomorrow. So earnings season really is going to kick off tomorrow morning. And then by next week for tech investors, things get more interesting. So Netflix is on Tuesday. IBM is Wednesday. And then we get all the big tech companies uh, the following week and uh, after, after that. And so for the next- Are people really negative on the big tech companies and their earnings? We're talking Amazon, Apple, Microsoft companies like that? You know, I, I think so, partly because- um, We'll have to watch cloud numbers specifically, which matter so much to Microsoft and Amazon um, and, and Alphabet to some degree um, in particular, because I think, you know, the worry is that we don't quite know how bad the enterprise environment will become in the coming, or has become in the recent weeks and will become in the coming months. And the enterprise spending is what drives so much of the cloud um, business that has has become so important for for Amazon and uh, Microsoft, right? We all know the retail issues, you know, the e-commerce issues that's been playing out for a long time now. Um, but the enterprise, despite some of I think our warnings, the enterprise spending had been holding up pretty well. Um, but if companies are really starting to cut back now because they're worried about preparing or they're bracing for a recession, it, it stands to reason that the cloud will take a hit. Um, and you know, so that's uh, that's that's bad news for those companies. And then for the chip companies, uh, more of the hardware-focused companies, um, you've just seen this real uh, almost collapse in in the PC market, um, which is more of, of a consumer play. But that had stayed strong. That that was a surprise winner during COVID PC sales, and it had really stayed strong uh, longer than probably most people had hoped. And now we're seeing a real a real decline, and that's causing a lot of the chip makers to to issue warnings. Uh, specifically, AMD said it was going to be well short of its uh, upcoming the quarter that it's about to to announce uh, due to almost specific almost all due to PC demand. Um, so you add that problem for the chip companies on top of all these worries around China right now um, and the new restrictions that, uh, that the White House is putting in place. And it's just it's a it's a troubling time for the chip companies. Uh, last night, um, Applied Materials, which makes equipment for the chip makers, uh, also warned about its upcoming results. Um, it feels like at 4 p.m. It, we haven't even hit earnings season, but at 4 p.m. every day now, we've been getting bad news. <laughs> so... Um, it's a good time been, to go for a coffee break. Yeah, so we've been busy, and I usually usually that kind of excitement waits till earnings, but it hasn't it hasn't this year. Again, the good news for investors may be that the, that we're getting the bad news out of the way first, and there's you know there's always the possibility that um, ultimately the, either the commentary from management is better than expected, or some of the numbers are better than expected. But but that would be a surprise at this point. I think right now everyone is is pretty uh, is pretty depressed. So chips are going into absolutely everything we rely on. The total addressable market seems to be infinite, though yeah, it's yeah. not. So right. that makes me wonder, is the current weakness in the market really a buying opportunity if you think the very long-term outlook is incredibly bright? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very good question. Ultimately, chips are kind of a cyclical business, right? And so you do have to always remember that maybe we maybe we were um, misled a little bit into believing that chips were had broken out of their cycle, you know, the, the typical industrial cycle, and we're just going to be seeing nonstop growth for the next 10 years as we as technology headed into a new area. But I think so for one thing, I think that's just there's still a cycle. And so, yes, right now people ordered like crazy during COVID. There were all these shortages. Companies probably overordered, and now maybe they're pulling back because they, they got what they finally got what they needed. Um, so that's sort of more cyclical in nature, I would say. And then I think that maybe the longer term worry. So I, I, but yes, I agree with you that chips are not going anywhere. We need them in more and more things. Cars are the best example. Um, just as, as one symbol of, you know, every car has so much more technology in it and requires more chips. Um, the problem, again, to come back to the cycle is if car sales are now going to start to fall off, well, then there's then ch chips are that much more exposed as it, and they weren't is as exposed in the past. So, you know, there's you win so many, you win some and you lose some. Um, but uh, but I think maybe the bigger question that's going to weigh on chips for, for a while now is it's just what happens with our relationship with China and yeah it, who's hurt by this in the chip sector is it everybody is it specifically so I mean company? it seems the latest chip restrictions at which and I think it's important to sort of understand mm -hmm. that the the latest stuff we heard this week about kind of putting some controls in place around really high-end chip making equipment and products uh, for like supercomputers and certain artificial intelligence right things uh, that designs. the could benefit from. yeah they were pretty specific and i think they were very high-end and maybe we the market overgeneralized a little bit in terms of who it was going to hurt um so that's one issue with with china but I, I think a bigger problem though is that there is this kind of ruining or, or, or very much here now kind of cold war tech cold war which we've been writing about and this is not going away and china many of most of our chips are still made in china which means many of our the companies that maybe are going to be most hurt right now by these chip restrictions are not so much like amd and nvidia but the companies that are making the equipment um that make equipment to make chips and applied materials, which I mentioned earlier, is kind of the best example of that. And they specifically yesterday um, cut their fourth quarter revenue um, by uh, roughly let's see, 200, 200 million or so um, off of a six and a half, 6.6 billion base. Um, and they cited the, the, the impact of the new export regulations. And they said that same impact would continue into the next quarter. So, you know, I think the chip equipment makers are going to be kind of the ecosystem. Um, often you want to buy those companies because they're sort of the arms provider of sorts, but right, right. now they, they may be the ones that are, that are hurt the most. Interesting, interesting turn of events. So let's talk for a moment about Facebook, now called Meta, and then we'll sure. go into some more questions. We finally got some details this week about the company's metaverse ambitions. Meta introduced a $1,500 Quest Pro VR headset to be used for work. And we found out, in fact, the problem is the battery life is about one to two hours. I don't know about you, but my work day is a lot longer than two hours. <laughs> and I think yeah. yours is too. Although so, if it were in the if it were in the metaverse, you may you may want to keep it to one hour because it uh, you know. But um, so maybe that will be maybe, so maybe, is, maybe that will be a blessing. 
How do we assess the success or lack thereof so far of Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse ambitions? Yeah, well, from a big picture, I think Meta and, and Mark Zuckerberg have a really big problem, which is that investors, so there was this, this developer conference yesterday, they, they promised additional details about the metaverse and some of their specific hardware, which we got, we can talk a little more about that. But I think the biggest problem for Meta right now is in what investors really would have wanted to hear was not new details about the metaverse or new equipment, but was, you know, we've changed our mind. We know we made this big bet into meta. We changed the name of our company, but times are tough. And actually we're just going to pivot away from this and go back to doing what we've always done well, which is selling advertising. And that is what would have helped the stock, right? I don't know that there's anything they could have said yesterday about, about, the, metaverse. about the metaverse that would help because they are just losing so much money on something that is still so far out that no one really has a great feel for that no one's convinced will work. Um, you know, I think I just noted. So first of all, Meta is down 62% this year for anyone who hasn't noticed. Um, That's a tremendous drop for, for, for a big company, right? Yeah. Meta, Meta touched briefly, it had touched a trillion dollar market value, or maybe even not that brief. They, they had hit that, that trillion dollar mark. And what are they now like 300 billion or something. So this is a I don't even know if you if meta may we may need to take meta out of that big tech category at this point. Obviously, all the stocks have been hit, but no, none is none of them as hard as meta. Um, so, and then just to put sort of some numbers around the metaverse, the company which had restructured its units when it changed its name, it's re, it's Reality Labs Unit, um, and this was an Eric Savitz's story uh, this week. Um, lost six billion dollars in the first half of the year, right? So that is why. That's why they would like this to basically go away, right? There, there's, right. Not, there's nothing good coming from it. And it's not even, no one knows how to model for it. Um, now, I guess I'll point out that, and if you, asked, if you asked Meta or Mark Zuckerberg, they would say, well, look, technology um, is a bumpy path. It's hard. You never, you know, you have to be ahead of it. Otherwise you're behind, you have to be ahead of the curve. Otherwise you find yourself behind the curve. So you have to give them some credit, I suppose, for really making this bet. And unless and there is like no curve. And well, and, and that's the problem. And so that's the problem. And I think meta just no longer has that credibility uh, for lots of different reasons. Um, and so no one's giving them the benefit of the doubt anymore. And they've almost just become a lot of this metaverse stuff has become a little bit of a, almost like a running joke. Um, and you see that with how people talk about, you know, just you go on Twitter after these conferences and after these events and see how people talk about it. And, and, the, and the metaverse has, the metaverse itself has certainly become a bit of a, of, a, of a running joke, even though you have some real believers out there. So this is, this is the issue. Um, and then, but, but this new, this new um, headset that they launched is $1,500. Uh, as you mentioned, one to two hours of battery. And the point of it is really to be used mo more in, in work. Um, they, they said it's a high-end device designed for work. It will enable more collaboration and creativity. They think that in time, uh, and we talked a little bit about PCs before, but Meta thinks in time that its goggle, its, meta, its, its headset, and some versions of headsets will replace PCs, that they will be the next kind of place that that work happens so um you know maybe they're right but we're talking 10 20 years and, and even then i think there's a lot of people that are skeptical that anyone's going to sit around with a headset on their on their head all day well 
It is an interesting phenomenon for sure and an interesting development for such a prominent company. And either he's very right and we're very wrong or the stock is going to go lower and the metaverse is going to be less than promised. Yeah. But too soon to tell. Yeah. So this leads me to some listener questions. And I'm going to start with Hal because he has a question that relates to many things you discussed today. Is the PC dead? That's the personal computer. Yeah. And so we talked, we brought that up in two ways, right? The personal computer growth numbers have been very bad of late, falling 15% or so this year, I think, or in the latest quarter. There's also Meta saying, well, the PC is dead because the metaverse uh, and headsets will replace them. But the, 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 it's an interesting question because we've been saying that the PC is dead for, what, almost 20 years. Uh, Steve Jobs, when he announced the iPad, I think he it was he famously said sort of we were in the post PC world and that the iPad would replace our tablets would replace the need for any kind of um, PC. Uh, I, Lauren, you can attest, and I'm sure anyone in an office or can attest to the fact that everyone, no one is walking around their office with a tablet, um, and everyone still has a laptop. Right, so, and and um, the PC enjoyed a great rebirth during COVID. As during COVID, because every all at home. Every child, basically, uh, which is a wonderful thing for the most part, uh, you know, schools have bought them for for children. Um, and and tablets are great, but they serve a different function. They serve a different purpose. So I guess I'm not ready to declare the PC dead. I think we're again in a cycle now where there it may be a few years. We're going to see several years of declines, and we may never get another boom the way we did during COVID. But no one expected that boom to come. So. Um, you know, maybe we will. Microsoft makes some really interesting kind of hybrid tablet PC devices, um, but I don't think they they really hit it big. And the Mac, Apple's MacBook unit is incredibly strong, and they're still putting they're they're back to putting innovation in those products. So, um, you know, I'm, I guess I, I think the PC still has some life in it, but probably it, it may be that we're going to see many several years of. of of declining growth now, pretty sure of that. Right, after a boom during the COVID era. But yeah. it's interesting that that innovation does continue in that yeah. sector. We had a question from Chris. What might what wide moat tech stocks do you still believe are on sale? And he recommends or or he mentions ASML and uh, a couple of others, but what do you see? The the notion of a wide moat in tech stocks is an interesting idea. It is. And I don't know, maybe I'm giving kind of a cheap answer here. But to me, you know, the easiest way to see that wide mode is just to kind of use scale as a proxy for that. And, and, and big tech stocks are down what anywhere from 20 to 35%. And, and Apple and Alphabet and Amazon still have the kind of scale that, um, I mean, to me, that's, that's the biggest mode ever. And you can get them at 20 at 30% off right now. So I think those are the stocks that are on sale. I think if you're a long-term holder, there's still reason to, to, to want to own those. Um, yes. The regulatory environment may be challenging for them uh, in, in, in the coming years, but so far they've really gotten through that. Uh, they're even still making some acquisitions, some smaller acquisitions. Um, so I think those stocks are on sale and, and, and are a lot more attractive now for sure than they were a year ago. So, all right, they certainly have wide moats. So one more question, Alex, and then we'll leave it. 
Dale asks, given current inflation levels and the banter related to interest rate hikes potentially being higher for longer, how does that impact your view of 2023 tech stock performance? Yeah, I mean, it comes back to the to that question of uh, how much of it is priced in right now. I think um, I don't think I don't think interest rates are probably going down anytime soon. But um, with the Nasdaq down thirty five percent and those speculative names in the, for instance, in the Arc Fund that we were talking about down seventy five to eighty percent, I don't know. I mean, it feels like maybe there's a reason to start getting um, a little more positive again. Uh, we were actually talking in our meeting today about whether the Nasdaq had become a value play. Um, so uh, if you're having that, if we're having that conversation, um, I, I think I think it's worth kind of it's worth jumping in. It doesn't mean you're not going to lose ten or fifteen percent more from here, but the, but the up the, the risk reward just feels a, a, a lot better now than it has in a very long time. Um, and in terms of the time horizon, though, I think you know I'm, I'm only talking if you're willing to wait three to five to ten years, right? I mean that's how long it even took the Nasdaq to recover. Uh, from its uh, from the dot com bust, I think even longer, right? It might have been like fourteen years, right? And we we had a couple of crises in there too, and we did. That's true. So it may not be an analogous right period, but I will note the Nasdaq is still in the green for today. All right. Well, there you what, go. Whatever has happened, somebody is buying and sees an opportunity. We're going to have to end it there. Thank you so much for joining me, Alex. This has been really Absolutely. interesting, and Thanks, we'll be Lauren. back in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, join us for a discussion about how to take advantage of the next market rally. Now, there's an optimistic topic. For investors who want growth at a reasonable price, Investors Business Daily and Barron's have collaborated to create the Barron's Value and Momentum screen in MarketSmith. This is a list full of cheap stocks showing signs of outperformance. IBD's Alyssa Corum and Ed Carson will explain the key signals that can help investors identify a tradable rally and the best buying opportunities for the next uptrend. Thank you again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.